Where all my children are the light Born in the sinning But steady striving to do right My people are warriors All we know is to fight Pray they see God in everything I write here Welcome to Black Women Speak, the politics of COVID-19. This is a town hall with some of the most brilliant minds and strongest political voices of our time. I'm Angela Rye, and I'm blessed to have some amazing sister friends who, when we called or texted, they answered. So please meet, if y'all don't know, Amanda Seals, Brittany Packnett Cunningham. I was corrected to get in that Cunningham. Erin <laughs> Haynes, Jamel Hill, Joy Reed. Sunny Hostin and Tiffany Cross. Hello, ladies. Hey. So for those of you who may be asking why this, why us, and why now, our answer is really simple. With the number of global coronavirus cases just on the other side of 1.5 million, and the fact that Black people are disproportionately impacted by this and really everything else, the reason is clear. It's just time. Every day and night, the country is being subjected to press conferences by the administration where facts sometimes escape us. And the reason we are forced to watch it is even less clear. From text messages and Twitter threads of the ladies here today, these Black women have spoken repeatedly about the disparities that would, do, and will exist with coronavirus. We happen to know these things well because we've been Black our whole lives. But we welcome Dr. Fauci in this conversation as an ally when just a few press conferences ago, he clearly saw our text message thread because he joined the chorus of our voices talking about the disparate impact of this virus on Black lives and Black bodies. Black folks have been talking about this for weeks, but just not as much on air. In fact, it's a rare conversation on air. And so here we are today to talk to all of you about the politics of coronavirus. We're going to talk about the lack of access to health care, the harm's way we are putting Black workers in every single day, the overwhelming deaths in our community, the lack of preparation and technology available to schools, school districts that serve our kids, and the stimulus bill, bill, the CARES Act, that has a lot to prove about it caring about us. We even need to talk about the grocery stores and their lack of preparedness. All of this. And in so many ways, we have no legal legal remedy for negligence, recklessness, and arguably abuse by healthcare systems that are supposed to be serving us nationwide. At the end of it all, we still have each other and the full knowledge of the truth, which we always pledge to give you. So for starters, I just want to tap into this stimulus package because I think that um, it leaves a lot to be desired. Um, the $2 trillion package even has a little carve out of billions with a B, hundreds of billions with a B. That's a secret slush fund. We don't know what's going to happen with that. We have the reality that there are small business, the small businesses who are owned by black women like us. We know that we're the largest growing group of entrepreneurs. And the reality of it is that stimulus bill is likely to miss us because we didn't have a long term um, bank account with the, the bank account, bank, um, the banks that are processing these loans. We don't have someone who can walk us through those stimulus packages. And some of us right now probably can't afford to take those workshops and those crash courses on this stuff. So there are all of these these millions of pieces. And the first thing that came to my mind about the CARES Act was Melania Trump's jacket. <laughs> I don't care, do you? Right. And so the right. question becomes, how do we engage our members of Congress? 
um, and other elected officials, because stimulus doesn't just have, have to happen at the federal level. It can also occur on the state and the local level. So how do we engage the people who look like us, who think like us, who are allies to us to ensure that the next stimulus actually does more than just care? It ensures that it's representative of all of the people who are hardest hit by this particular epidemic. That's what I have to start. <laughs> um, so we can get into that, but we definitely have rapid round right now. And our three leads for that are Brittany, Amanda, and Aaron. So Britt, Bishop, kick it off. Kick it off. <laughs> uh, Angela, thank you so much for pulling this conversation together. I want to keep the focus on Congress, but I want to actually talk about voting. There are so many people who are saying we can deal with that whenever coronavirus is over. Well, hold your horses. If anything, this crisis is a deadly reminder that we have to maintain and retain the power to vote out the folks who continue to leave us out in the cold. If, if nothing else, we have to make sure that November comes and we are prepared to vote and make sure that we vote in our best interests. So I want to talk about Wisconsin. I used to date a guy from Wisconsin. I was like, I didn't even know there were Black people in Wisconsin. <laughs> yes, there are Black folks in Wisconsin, in particular in Milwaukee. And you know who else knows that there are Black people in Wisconsin? The Wisconsin State uh, GOP. The Republicans across the state know very well that Black and brown folks across Wisconsin have the power to dramatically shift uh, political outcomes across the state. There's a Democratic governor. There's a Black lieutenant governor who's a Democrat in Wisconsin right now. Um, and after years of Scott Walker, folks that, that thought that that wasn't possible. So the GOP has been exploiting the coronavirus to make sure that they retain power across the state. So here's what happened. The date for the, the primary election and the state elections, because this wasn't just a primary for the president, this was also a number of state and local races that uh, were being elected on this day. Uh, the date for that, though, is enshrined in the state constitution, which means that it takes an act of the state legislature to change the date. So the Democratic governor waited for a long time and after a lot of pressure, finally said, I will issue an executive order to delay the election. But what happened, the Wisconsin Supreme Court overturned that, uh, overturned that. Uh, and then on top of that, the Supreme Court of the United States came back and said, if you ordered an absentee ballot, it is no longer due two weeks from now. It is due and has to be postmarked on the same day as the election. Mm. Here's the problem with that. Thousands of people across the state still had not received their absentee mm -hmm. ballot. How do you postmark something that you don't even have in your possession? On top of all of that, in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where all the Black folks live, the GOP made sure to shutter over 100 polling places. We went down from over 180 polling places in that enclave to just five across the entire city of Milwaukee, not only making people unsafe because they're standing in longer lines and more crowded gymnasiums, but also making it much more possible for the Black vote to be suppressed. So you heard that right. The Wisconsin GOP made sure that the election could happen, but they also made sure that the folks they didn't want to vote couldn't do it. Why did they do this? Because somebody named Daniel Kelly is sitting on the Wisconsin Supreme Court right now. And he is a conservative judge who they wanted to make sure was able to be reelected. Look, what happened in Wisconsin is just 
a trailer for the coming attractions. It is a preview of what is possible in November. And I think it is important for us to remain vigilant about this right now, because if we don't care about it now, then they'll be able to take our vote in November and we will be none the wiser. Um, and so, yeah, if you think that there are no black people in Wisconsin and Wisconsin is just a bunch of cheese and cows and doesn't matter to you, guess what? It absolutely does. A good word, Brick. How many of us are at all surprised by the antics? Like we've seen them get sophisticated about voter suppression yeah. over and over again. Does anybody want to weigh in on that? I just want to say I was very frustrated with the media's response that they clutched their pearls. They were shocked and look at what's happening. And I think for all of us as black people, we know to your point, Angela, that's a long tradition of how this country has laid the political landscape to keep that path to the ballot box very narrow. We'll get into some of the local politics later. But um, the doofus Brian Kemp, the governor of Georgia, I mean, he was a dirty South Gestapo when it came to uh, voting rights in the country. And for many of us who live in black neighborhoods, it's always long lines to the ballot box. It's always some sort of malfunction. It's always some sort of challenge that's sometimes insurmountable. So to, to Brittany's point, this is something that's a microcosm. It's not new to us. And I get frustrated every time I see white media gatekeepers act surprised when they're subjected to the same treatment we have long survived. Right. And I, and I think a lot of people they underestimate the, the extent to which the Wisconsin Republican Party has been the lead in formulating a lot of the policy that we're seeing coming out of the party nationally. I mean, you know, there's sort of the nickname, the Wisco Mafia, right? These guys that come out of the Koch brothers funding source. It wasn't just Scott Walker. It was Sean Spicer. Um, it was Reince Priebus. It was the people who pushed Michael Steele out as head of the RNC and who retained control of not just that state, with an iron grip, even though that state is supposedly the founder, you know, the founding state of the union movement in the country, um, but that have really directed and pushed a lot of the really bad policy that have been hurtful to us. Um, I just want to remind folks also that people who are counting on um, the chief justice of the Supreme Court um, as the guy who's the backstop for our rights against the right wingers on the court, good luck with that. Uh, John Roberts has been against voting rights since he was in the Reagan administration. Mm. So we are, we are up against the Hopefully um, people will see this as a preview to what's coming in November. Donald Trump cannot stop the election from happening. He does not have the legal authority to push the election back, but the states have a lot of power. And so I think we need to be cognizant of what our state is doing and can do. And and to your point, Joy, you know, it, it, it's not only that, that uh, you know, the election is going to continue. I think the real question is how it's going to continue. And that's really why the conversation around alternatives to in-person voting in the event that the coronavirus pandemic has not uh, been adequately addressed so that people can vote safely in person is a real issue. Mail-in balloting, absentee balloting, that conversation is one that a lot of Democrats are, are pushing for now. Uh, and, and yet, you know, we had uh, the president really questioning the integrity of mail-in balloting and absentee balloting, despite the fact that he himself has cast an absentee ballot, um, mm -hmm. you know, as a Florida voter. Uh, but, you know, it's okay for him, but maybe it's not okay for the rest of the country because fraud, uh, you know, he says that fraud is rampant, which we know is, is not true uh, in terms of voter fraud it, uh, nationally in this country. So, uh, you know, but expanding the electorate, uh, obviously, is something that, that we have heard uh multiple Republican officials say is not conducive to victory uh, for them. And so uh, certainly having an election where uh, folks are still um, predominantly going to be voting in person 
is going to make, uh, frankly, a lot of um, older folks uh, who we know are the main voters in this country fearful uh, of going to cast their ballot and black folks who, you know, tend to vote in, in, in presidential elections and are frankly fearful of, of um, not only the coronavirus, but of, of reelecting President Trump. Uh, making they're going to be fearful about whether you know balancing their the health of the democracy with, with kind of their personal health. Mm-hmm. Can I ask Angela? I would love to have you weigh in because you are so familiar with you know what happens on the Hill. Um, the Democrats tried to pass HR one that had in it a lot of expansive le- uh, legislative ideas to make it easier for people to vote in person, uh, same day registration on voting day, uh, making election day a holiday. Expand- vote by mail, all of these things that would actually make democracy better. What are the chances, and that was knocked down by Mitch McConnell, he killed yeah. that, killed it out of the recent bill, the CARES Act, where Democrats tried to bring some of those ideas back. What are the chances that in this fourth bill that's supposed to come out, the Democrats can actually get some of these items into these bill, into that bill? Yeah, I think it's rare. I think it's going to be really, really tough because there are um, some legitimate, (laughs) I think there are legitimate fears by um, Republicans of losing elections because they have aligned in a lot of ways, either um, overtly or covertly with um, foreign interference. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's really hard to be beefing up election security measures when you know that beefing up means you'll lose, especially when you've been winning by cheating. So I think that it's going to be extremely tough um, and they have other priorities and that it, they really, frankly, even when you look at this, this last graph that I pulled for CARES Act, large corporations alone got $500 billion um, it, of, of, of just monetary support and relief in this stimulus package, right? And that is compared to individuals. Um, at 560 billion. So individuals fare just a little bit better than large corporations and small businesses are 377 billion. So I don't have any, um, I don't have any hope at all that those things will get resolved because that would mean that folks have to be operating with integrity. So let me, let me say as an organizer, I fully understand the reason why we don't have a lot of hope, but I always feel like it is my job to give people some hope anyway, and to put them to work, right? That any of these conversations are not just conversations. I always see them as a rally. So (laughs) the action that folks need to take is to call Congress and to let them know that they need to fully fund the kind of reforms that can be made at the state level because same day registration, online registration, expanding early voting, 100% mail-in voting, those things can happen at the state level, but the states will say, we need more resources to be able to make that happen. Great, so let's start with Congress, make sure they get the resources, and then follow up with your governor and your secretary of state and make sure that they are making these reforms. All of the reforms have to come with oversight, though, because as it stands right now, Black absentee ballots are rejected at a disproportionate rate. How do they do that? They look at names, they look at spellings, they look at zip codes, and they assume whether or not the the person is Black, and they figure out ways to reject that stuff. So we have to make sure that if we move to a mail-in ballot system, which is much safer for people physically, that we uh, make sure that there's clear oversight so folks resist the urge to actually reject our ballots uh, uh, disproportionately. I think we just have to remember that it is in our power to demand that we do not have to choose between our health and our vote. 
Yeah. yeah. My concern, though, is, I mean, we're in April now, right? And we're in the middle of this pandemic. We're talking about November. Do we really have the time to be able to mobilize, to be able to change laws? Do we have that time? I mean, I often say the wheels of justice uh, work very, very, very slowly. And so I, I think, you know, not to be sort of the bearer of bad news and be all doomsday about this, but I, I don't know that we have the time to do that, even if you're calling Congress, even if you're calling uh, your governor. I, I just, I, I don't know um, that we have enough time to address this by November. I've been asking a lot of former presidential candidates. I've been asking a lot of senators, a lot of Congress people, you know, what does November look like? Mm-hmm. And none of them seem to have a cohesive plan in terms of voting. And, and so I, I throw it out to all of you. I mean, what does November look like, especially for our community? Because we know that our community is being disproportionately affected by this health crisis, by this pandemic. And so who is going to be out there voting in person? It's going to be our communities, right? And so I, mm-hmm. and I also wonder what happened in Wisconsin. How many people were exposed to COVID-19 because they stood in line mm-hmm. for hours to protect the democracy? I, I wonder about that. And the CDC now is not really giving us much uh, data. And so we, we probably won't know, but I do wonder about the effects of what happened in Wisconsin. So, well, you know, Sonny, you raise a really good point um, about November, but to be honest, you know, I'm really more concerned about the primaries that are still outstanding. You mm-hmm. know, there are some states that have postponed uh, their primary because of COVID-19, but not postponed, uh, you know, until, uh, they're happening within the next two months. You know, and I don't know that, that uh, our country is really going to have enough of a handle on this pandemic for it to be safe for people to be voting in person uh, in May and June. And so, you know, you do have some uh, state governments that are, you know, taking that reality into account and trying to figure out alternatives for folks to, to vote safely if they're, if they're not going to be voting in person. But uh, frankly, you know, that is not necessarily the case everywhere. Louisiana is one of those states that pushed their primary back. Georgia pushing its primary back, you know, and the governor sent everybody an absentee ballot, but didn't give them the postage. And so, you know, for, for folks who can't necessarily make it to the post office, for folks for whom it's not safe for them to be going out and, and running to the post office for stamps, uh, for the community organizations that don't have the money to buy everybody stamps, uh, you know, that's going to be a challenge for them to be able to to vote absentee. And so, uh, you know, a, a lot of these upcoming contest, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. so many of these states where we're seeing and we know that they are the hotspots right now, especially for our communities. Uh, you know, right now, these primaries can be a test run for some states if uh, they want to try and pivot and, and make it more convenient and safe for people to cast their ballots in the midst of this pandemic. We can we can kind of get a better picture right now of how November can be safer if, uh, you know, but again, that's a choice uh, that the, these states are, are going to have to make. So I want to get. Um, I, I was gonna say I want to get Jamel in there. Yeah, I would say this just real quick is that Brittany talked about hope, right? And we all um, are trying to grasp with some strand or stream of hope to have right now. The biggest hope that I have is the will of the people. And I know that seems like really Pollyannish, and I know it seems like probably a little naive or pie in the sky. But when you look throughout um, history, the one thing that has always prevailed has been literally the will of the people. And so once again. For the umpteenth time, for the 11th time in history, Black people are going to have to save these people from themselves. Mm-hmm. And by that, I mean, is that when it comes to voter engagement, w- right now, we know what the stakes are. Whoever you are, and especially if you look at what's happening in this country and you're okay with it, or especially if you're not okay with it, I'll say, 
then you know you have an extra duty and responsibility, particularly to the young the young folks. I mean, it is amazing because some of the most disengaged voters are young black working people, working class people. Nobody ever talks about them. Nobody ever mm-hmm. talks about my man working at Verizon who is living check to check because so much of the working class, we know that means white, right? Yeah. So we need to figure out a way to make people like that, people who are in the working class, which is more young working class people who are you know, working daily jobs and it is are in college, figure out how to make them feel a part of the process. And so to me, it's all about stakes. It's like, the message has to be conveyed over and over again. Like, yeah, it may be true. You might have to wait five or six hours in a voting line to cast your ballot. It sucks. It's fucked up. I'm not saying that it's not. But the reality is that it's so much at stake. Literally, we all have to take this responsibility as life or death. So I'm hoping and praying that the will of the people in this situation will prevail and be stronger than the forces that are trying to um, to, su- to basically suppress it. I've said this to many young people all the time and I'll continue to say it. If your vote didn't matter, why are they trying to take it? Uh-huh. It has to matter. Like, so you knowing that should be the one thing to energize yourself to vote. Don't wait on your 80 year old Meemaw. All right. Meemaw shouldn't have more reason to vote than you do, even though Meemaw has seen some things. Mm-hmm. But the truth is, it's time for people our age, people younger we got to carry this thing and it's going to be ugly and it's going to be many pessimistic points as we're experiencing right now. But the will of the people have to be the thing that we lean on to be able to defeat all of this evil that has, you know, frankly turned all these forces against us, trying to convince us that this doesn't matter. So that's what I lean on. I lean on the will because if you want to go back to the civil rights movement, there was nothing in the architect that said that, that was supposed to happen. Nothing. It was literally the will of the people. And in many cases, the will of two or three people that made it happen. So I'm hoping for something similar this time around. So that's my hope. And Amanda, I see you trying to get in. Go ahead. now. <laughs> no, because I think um, I think what the civil rights movement had was a very clear, direct focus that was able to encompass everyone. It was like it was like built in marketing. Like this is a problem for all of us. And I think what is so different about this era is that not there isn't a unified thought amongst most black folks about the things that limit each of us. I think there's such a disparate experience among blackness at this point where a lot of people feel like, oh, well, that may affect that black person, but that doesn't affect me. And during the civil rights movement, I think there was a lot more blanketed experience of like what it means to be black in this country. And so when it comes to these issues that we're talking about, I think it's so easy for folks to just distance themselves from why it should matter to them. And we really need like a better marketing plan in terms of how we engage folks, in terms of how we make it just plain and simple. Like no matter how you identify in your black experience, this matters to you. And I think that's where I struggle so much with with the politics of things because it feels even as much as I'm aware of things, it feels so easy for me to disassociate from just watching all these old white men talk about things that just seem like it's only matter, like it only matters to them. And it just makes it feel, it makes, it just makes you feel like, well, you know what? Let me just focus on living my best black life because I really can't handle this. And it's like, Ann just said to me like, no, we need you in the mix. And I know I represent a lot of people who are really like, I care, I'm aware, but I, I care. I'm aware, but how do I get there? Um, (laughs) (laughs) Make it rhyme. (laughs) Because, and to be, you know what's funny is that I made it rhyme, but that was a tactic. 
That was literally yes. like a marketing tool for a lot of folks. Like Jesse has got all that rhyming because folks was like, I like a rhyme, you know? And so I just wonder for us, you know, when Britt, when you talk about, when you talk about organizing and, you know, when everybody here talks about like the will of the people and hope and how do we engage that, I'm constantly trying to figure out like, what is the real bottom line way that we make folks care in a more general, just black way about black yeah. issues? What, what, what is it? Is it having Hove drop an album? Like, what is it? Well, before before anyone answers this um, great philosopher by the name of Amanda Seals, um, I first just have a housekeeping matter. Whoever got that goddamn ding on, please turn it off. I'm trying to figure out how to turn it off, and I can't because I, <laughs> I know I was going to be like, "It might be funny if y'all." And if I I thought maybe you noticed. I'm getting yelled at. I was like, "Is it me?" I was like, who is doing that? And it was perfect as soon as Amanda said, you know, Jesse, you know who's texting? It's Mark Lamont Hill texting. That's what it is. It's Mark Lamont Hill blowing up my damn text. Mark, we said, you in the middle of trying to say black people at the same time. Stay tuned, Mark. You messing up our phone, Mark. You acting like the Russian trolls, smart. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, <laughs> he out here yeah. crashing our Zoom, Mark. And before, before Tiffany, this is my last thing. This was supposed to be a wraparound. We even got to the other two, but I let y'all have your moment. Go ahead and reclaim your time, Tiff. We hear you. Go ahead. Well, I, I think um, Amanda raised some really pertinent points because so much of our politics is filtered through what we see on our TV screen and the media landscape in general. So when every conversation that we have in politics centers white people's history, their finances, and their opinions, then it is incumbent upon us to leapfrog over the mainstream media landscape and assemble roundtables like this to reach the people. And that's not necessarily fair. And I thought Jamel raised a really good point about how we talk about voters in this country. For example, the working class. In Jamel, your neck of the woods in Detroit, during the GM strike, I saw all those workers on strike and they were not all white people. I saw younger people. I saw Latinos. (laughs) multi-generational families working there and so when you see this um image painted on the screen it does create a disconnect between you and democracy i mean when these gatekeepers whitewash our experience democracy democracy is destroyed and so i think you know look you have a huge platform um of you know a million plus people who tune into you uh and, and look at your ig stories and you know your bedtime tea at night i'm one of them and i think you know it does take validators within our community even to bring it back to COVID 19 i get so many people sliding in my dms asking you know i don't know these people but they say yo tip on cnn they said we got to wear masks is that true or yo they telling us not to go outside is that true newsflash i ain't no doctor i ain't no medical <laughs> professional none right. of that but they want somebody who looks yeah. like them, who they know, who they feel speaks for them, yeah. to tell them, yes, what they're saying is true. And why might that be? Because editorial decision makers don't prioritize our issues. They don't focalize Black people. So it's sad, but I do think that we have to disrupt that space 
um, yep. to create a more equal democracy. And if I could say just, you know, from that point of view, Tiffany, because we go through this kind of back and forth, even on, on, on MSNBC, is in the early weeks of this uh, pandemic, when it first started, the face of it was almost entirely white. We didn't yeah. see mm-hmm. black of this at all. We didn't see black doctors, black nurses. And so it was it was something that was very disconnected, I think, from a lot of black people to the point where I had friends and people who were espousing the conspiracy theory that maybe black people were immune to it. Mm-hmm. That maybe black people. Yep. Yes. And don't so forget the 5G towers. 5G. Girl. <laughs> a lot of friends. And saying that melanin might be, you know, prevent us from getting it. And so they were taking risks that actually put black people in more danger. Yeah. Well, lo and behold, it turns out black people are dying much more. And that mm-hmm. the rates we're dying at are astronomically more. We can be 12% of a population and be 40 or 60 or 70% of the deaths. You know, now we're seeing the story of that bus driver who a woman coughed mm-hmm. on his bus and now he's dead. The woman who worked at Giant Foods. I'm down here in the DMV. That's the big supermarket. That's where I shop. You know, yeah. nobody in there has masks on. Who's inside of there pulling the meat out? Um, the Who are the people stacking the shelf? It's Black people. Mm-hmm. Who's in the post office getting coughed on by, by customers? Black people. Who's in the DMV? They got to come into work. Black people. Mm-hmm. We're at the front line because we're in so many hourly jobs. We're in jobs where we are essential employees because we're the stalkers and the cashiers and the janitors. Almost every security guard at NBC in both D.C. and New York is black. And so they are in in the front. If somebody with COVID-19 comes into either NBC bureau, there's a black person that's the first person that they're going to see. If they sneeze, they're sneezing on somebody that looks like us. So I feel like we are essential in this conversation because at the end of the day, you know, when America gets cold, we get the flu. And when America gets the flu, we get COVID-19. That's the way yeah. we get mm-hmm. I do want to make sure that we, that I address Amanda's, I think, very righteous question. And I, I know that everyone knows this, but I often am asked by young and aspiring organizers how to get started and what to do with their frustration when folks won't come on board, right? When people are like, that doesn't really affect me. Y'all do what you do. But anybody who's ever been in leadership of anything, it might be your church choir, it might be your college, you know, Black Student Union, we all know that 10% of the people do 90% of the work. Organizing is no different. We see images of the March on Washington for Jobs and Freedom and see a sea of people and think that every march had that many people and every meeting had that many people and every person, every Black person in America was signing themselves up to do this work. That wasn't true. You can look at the polling from that time and see that it wasn't true, right? So instead of getting caught up in where the 90% are, let's look at the 10% that we have in front of us, the Lawyers Committee and the NAACP, LDF, um, the Leadership Conference on Civil Rights, who have the plan, they have the clear communication, they have the information and research that we need, they have a design, Sonny, for exactly what November should look like if Black people are going to make sure that we don't have our votes suppressed. So let's make sure that we, when that 10% gives the rest of us 90% a finite action to take, to call somebody, to sign somebody up, to send a text message, to donate $5, to pass a collection plate, then we do our part as the 90% because the 10% have been organizing on this and we need to make sure that we follow their lead. So I love y'all. We changing topics. Finally, it was a rapid, <laughs> the slowest rapid round I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> and time, 
Who's got next on the mic is, again, our nation's greatest young philosopher with the fro and her mama's shirt on, Amanda Seal. <laughs> what you got next? <laughs> she told us that was her mama's shirt. Was that a secret? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> Yo, you look like a little highlighter. Thank <laughs> you. You cute. I'm giving you a full Caribbean. It's a good shirt. I love um, it. So, you know, just to, it's not funny, but we always find a way to to insert humor, especially as Black folks, uh, into such harrowing and tragic times. And one of the ways that we have managed to do so is to utilize our innovation um, in, in the usage of masks. Yes. So... It's it's become very common knowledge that the N65 mask is the mask. Like that's the only mask that really works. That's the only mask that really is actually protected. Girl, that's an N95. You were had somebody out there in hand. You know what's funny is I Googled it and it was like these both work. So the N95 mask. Oh, okay. Medical professional. That's better than a bandana. It and that is really the facts. The N95 mask is the mask that the healthcare workers are being considered the actual valid mask for PPE. However, we have now been told, and then we were not told, and then we were told again, that we should all be wearing masks. So I think there's a lot of folks that in that time are like, okay, well, if I don't got a mask, like, how do I make a mask? And so we we have stumbled upon uh, such, <laughs> such incredible feats. And, you know, some might say that's ghetto. And I say, no, 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 that's innovation. Okay, that's creativity and that's vision. When we see a crown royal bag transformed, <laughs> transformed into a sheath of felt made yeah. to protect one from this virus, we, oh, must, not only, we must not only uh, question, but also applaud. And I yeah. think that this is not just, uh, this is not just happening with Crown Royal bags. Uh, Shunny shared with us an individual who used their underwear to, yeah. uh, yeah. I, I, saw someone use, I saw someone use a bra cup. Now for me, I am a part of the itty bitty titty committee. So my bra cup would not <laughs> do anything. Thank you, Joy. But cover my mouth and I would still have a nostril situation. Can I, can I use my husband's do-rag? Will this work? So the oh do rag, I feel like. Yes, are you going to leave the case out? Thin. Those are very thin. Uh, <laughs> my issue is, and so we, I saw a video where really? someone was actually testing different masks, and so there were. The fact of the matter is this: the N95 mask is the actual elevated mask that is properly used for the PPE purposes. However, if you are making a homemade mask, you can test your mask by holding it up and using an aerosol can to spray through it and see what the air rate level is through the mask. And this will let you know how much, you know, sneezing is going through this mask and how much air can properly, can possibly uh, come through this mask because you really want it to be as impervious as possible, but still be able to breathe. So I've seen people using painter's masks. I see people using regular, I saw someone using a a doctor's mask from a Doc McStuffins uh, Halloween costume. This would not suffice. I think the other thing, and this is not as funny as much as it is, just another way that being Black is an underlying issue with this whole scenario, is that we're also seeing Black men who are now being who are now being profiled and targeted by police for covering their faces wearing these masks. And there were some young men in Illinois who went into a suburban Walmart, Damn. and it was questioned, like, why are they going to this Walmart? And it's like, it don't matter why they're going to the Walmart, okay? And if you live in LA, you know that at the time when this all popped off, you could only get food and water in a suburban yeah. grocery store. 
Like you had to go to Calabasas to try and get water or anything that could actually be of use. Everything else was cleared off the shelves. So these brothers in the, in March went to a wall, went to a Walmart and were questioned on their identity walking into the Walmart by the police and a policeman followed them around and they had doctor's masks. It wasn't like they had a, a, mm-hmm. a Spider-Man costume mask on. They weren't wearing Black Panther masks. But I think this really raises for us another question of just that the, the, the unforeseeable ways that Blackness continues to be another element of problem with this COVID virus. And so when it comes down to it, um, I still say something is better than nothing. So even if you don't have an N95 mask, even if you don't have a painter's mask, you know, it's still worth covering yourself up. And at the very least, I think what it does is it lets folks know, don't come close to me. I'm serious about this. Yeah. And that's the real. Yeah, that's exactly right. And I mean, Crown Royal PPE, I mean, shout out to you because I don't know how breathable a Crown Royal bag is. By the way, how many uses is that now for a Crown Royal bag? I mean, I've made it a full dress. But, I, mean, I don't know if it's breathable, but I do know that that material is thick, so it's keeping out a lot of stuff. Keeping hold on, in, uh, hold on Joy, chips. one second. Aaron, Aaron, let me finish your thought, and then Joy, jump in. Joy, come closer to the mic too, if you can. Aaron, what'd you say? Uh, no, I mean, I, but but, but I, to your point, I mean, yes, we we do often, you know, kind of laugh to, to get through our trauma, uh, and and there is some kind of coronavirus gallows humor happening here. But but I think it does speak to the point that our communities are, are having to take care of themselves right now because, you know, the government has only recently realized or turned its attention to the fact that we are being dis- disproportionately impacted. Uh, as Angela mentioned, Dr. Fauci mentioned for the first time over the weekend in a press briefing of the racial disparity that exists. And frankly, I believe it was only because he was prompted by yes. uh, one of the few uh, Black journalists that were in that press briefing that were asking about racial disparities as it pertained to voting and as it pertained to the pandemic. And so uh, in the meantime, I think we've seen in cities from Milwaukee to Albany to New Orleans, uh, Black people Detroit. doing for each other. Uh, Detroit, yes, you know, we cannot forget uh, Detroit. I mean, because, <laughs> because the government response uh, does not address the disparity uh, that exists in our communities and, and the systemic issues that are exacerbating this crisis for too many of our people. Joy, what were you saying? saying? Oh, I didn't have nothing profound to say. I was just going to say, I don't throw my parent raw bags because they're cute. Now I feel better about it. But I had literally. <laughs> yes. Resourceful. That's what oh you mean. Oh, so oh, I think this segment is called You Down With PPE. Yeah, you know me. <laughs> and if you want to throw in there gloves, you know, I think gloves is another thing that a lot of folks may not have on hand. Now, I went into a Target and I had forgotten my gloves. And what I did immediately was I got gardening gloves from the gardening department and put those on and went about my shopping. You're but I smart. think that I, I, I try to be. Um, but I know that I am one of many who didn't take this as serious at first because our government be on so much BS that I'm like, they just trying to pull some fast. And now that you just see the numbers, especially the black numbers that are being affected by this in disproportionate ways, there's no other choice than to take it as serious as you can. Mm -hmm. And so if you can arm yourself with just even the basic covering of your hands and your mouth and your face, and some people are like, well, why do I need to cover my mouth if I'm covering my hands? At the end of the day, on a basic note, you touch your face all the time. Mm -hmm. Don't touch it. Are you putting on a, is that your hazmat? Yeah. The hazmat? Oh, 
Please I, I like mention my, in terms of the. I will the, do the rest of this program in my hazmat suit. My but these are real things. Okay, like I'm I look on my designated clothes huh? that Can they I go out in and come back in. What like, did you tell me? I say one thing people are missing about the mask. They think that the mask is protecting them from other people, but the notion behind the mask is. You are your brother's keeper. You are your sister's keeper. So everyone needs to behave as if they are a carrier, whether or not you've tested positive for it, whether or not you're an asymptomatic carrier. If you have the mask, it really protects others from you. So Mm -hmm. if everyone is wearing them, I am taking care of you. And now you are also taking care of me. So that is the theory behind it. And in our communities, you know, we take care of each other. We have each other's back. So we know the government is not taking care of us at this point, right? That's why we're so disproportionately affected by it. We're getting mixed messages from the administration. First, the CDC says, don't wear a mask. Don't buy a mask. Leave the N95 for the medical community. And I agree with that. But they'd also told us not to wear masks at all. Now we know that it can protect our community. So everyone, even if you're wearing underwear on your face, like my friend Reggie is wearing them, and we were shaming him. I thought it was innovative, you know, he wore a hat and then he, 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 he hit the Calvin Klein's. I, I think that we have to keep in mind that we have to protect each other. And that's the theory behind the mask. And this is, I'm so glad that you brought this up. First of all, Angela, I was saying, none of us are breathing on you. You do not have to put on your favorite <laughs> <laughs> conversation. Ain't nothing coming through the camera. You never said that, Brick. She's about to get this, this whole suit. Right. Oh, that is made this point because it is it is white dominant middle class culture that tries to convince us that individualism is the way to go. When at the end of the day, when we go back and we look at our roots, we have always been about community. We have uh-huh. always been about saving ourselves. Yeah. We have always been about protecting and caring for one another. And this is an opportunity to get back to those roots. Thank you. So, yes, you're wearing a mask to protect other people. You are helping grandma figure out how to stream Easter service because she does not need to go to church. Right. So FaceTime her and walk her through how to do it. If grandma wants to cook a big meal, great. Have her put it in little individual plates, drop it off <laughs> on the rolling, right? We can take care of each other in this moment because we save us. So we have to take care of each other in this moment because I'm, I don't know about any of y'all, but I'm definitely not interested in putting the, the trust and hope that I have for my own life in this administration's hands. Oh, really? um, so this is an opportunity for us to save ourselves. And I, when it comes to the danger of wearing these masks, I'm thinking about a book by Claude Steele called Whistling Vivaldi that if you are tuning into this and you are not Black and you want to better understand what Black folks go through, there's a great book to pick up. What he says in the introduction is essentially he figured out that if he started whistling Vivaldi when he was around white people, that mm-hmm. they would see him as non-threatening and therefore his life wouldn't be in jeopardy or would, might be in less jeopardy. I used to run a nonprofit and my assistant was a black man and he had a Starbucks cup that he kept reusing and reusing and oh, reusing because no. he felt like if I come out in sweats or I come out in my hoodie, if I've got a Starbucks cup, then you know I, I might be a professional black man and therefore you won't be scared of me. And yeah. I'm seeing black men have to make some of these same 
perverse choices now that I'm going to wear my wife's pink scarf around my face instead of a bandana because maybe this will look less threatening than something else. These are not the kind of choices that Black folks, that anybody should have to make. And it's unfortunate that we continue to experience Blackness as one of the greatest comorbidities that there is. Um, so I'm seeing people make these choices over and over and over again, but I'm, I'm totally with you, Sonny. We save us and we have to be protecting each other. Period. I'm going to protect myself because some of y'all's cousins don't know what six feet away means. <laughs> So that's what this is. I got a mask, gloves, and this. And I throw these away when I get out. You can get gloves at the beauty supply store. Don't sleep on it. Gloves, paper towels. You can get everything in there. Can I ask Sunny a question? Sunny, that is a good question that I think, um, Brittany, that you know everybody's sort of bringing up is what are the legal liabilities? Because, you know, can the police stop you for having your face covered? Because I know for, you know, for white people to run out in a mask is not a big deal, but you're also supposed to try to cover your, protect your hair. The way it was described to us uh, uh, on our show by one of the, you know, one of our black doctors that we had on, Dr. Corey A. Bear, is that you have to think about a virus as being like glitter. That when you go outside, if somebody were to throw glitter up in the air and you were to breathe around it, you'd get glitter not just up your nose and in your mouth, but you'd get it in your hair, you'd get it on your clothes. You know, all the black folks, all our parents that don't wear your outside clothes inside, that turns mm-hmm. out to be very good medical yeah. advice. Because yeah. you don't get, you know, coronavirus necessarily on your clothes, I mean, on your couch when you get home. But if you're outside and you're covering your hair with a hoodie and you're wearing a mask over your face, if you're black, you're probably going to get stopped. Can the police stop you for having your face covered? Yes, they can. It's funny that that's a that's a question that we've all been going. I've been on this this text chain uh, with a lot of legal scholars, a lot of criminal attorneys, especially a lot of civil attorneys, healthcare attorneys, and this is something that's happening all around the country, not just in the Walmart in in, in Illinois. I think uh, that uh, you mentioned, Amanda, and yes, they can stop you. The question is, you know, the, the issue is you need to survive that stop. And it's unfortunately, it's the advice that I give people all the time. You need to survive that stop, have the old, the interaction, the respectful interaction, explain that you're covering yourself because of COVID-19, because of the pandemic, and then get the officer's name, information, badge number, and deal with it later. Can they stop you? Yeah, they can stop you. And we're seeing it all around the country. The NAACP LDF is dealing with it. Uh, You know, we we have the Puerto Rican Legal Defense Fund. Pearl Duff is dealing with it, Latino justice. It is unbelievable that just, that for people of color, not only are we dealing with it, uh, the coronavirus on the level that, with the health disparities, we're also seeing that we are being profiled in the same way that we are generally profiled day to day because of the coronavirus. It is, it's, it's, it's astonishing. And, you know, the other thing that, that is incredible is in our prison system, we right. have so many people in prison. I have a cousin in prison right now with immune issues. He has, he's in Georgia, he's in Clay County. He has these immune issues and there is a COVID outbreak. Someone with my resources, I cannot get him out. I can't get anyone to pick up the phone. Can you imagine that? So if I can't get help, I cannot imagine what other people are going through. So this is, I think, what our communities are, are you know, what our community is going through at this point. Sunny, you know, you raised a good point. Uh, you brought up Clay County, and I just interviewed the lone doctor in Clay County, Georgia, uh, last week. 
uh, we need to talk about rural black folks as well, uh, who are also on the front lines of this thing. Uh, you know, you've got close knit communities down there. You've got older black folks, folks with um, some of the com- comorbidities that Brittany mentioned, diabetes, asthma, hypertension, all of those things uh, are, are really making this crisis worse uh, for, for our folks in rural communities. And those people are often, uh, you know, miles and miles away from the nearest hospital. And so if things get dire for them, uh, you know, they can't just, you know, go to the hospital that's a few minutes away. In some cases, it's an hour or more uh, for them to be able to get to a hospital where they can get treatment. And that's assuming that they even have insurance. And we talk a lot about the telehealth issue. Uh, the, the doctor in Clay County that I spoke to uh, made a good point, And that is, you know, the rural broadband uh, problems that they're yeah. in those communities. You know, a lot of these folks don't have a smartphone necessarily. And even if they do, they may not have the internet access or, or the capability to have a telehealth appointment with that doctor. And so uh, telehealth is not necessarily the solution for, for everybody. I know that's helping a lot of folks and that's great, but we need to figure out another solution uh, in a lot of cases for folks in rural communities, because uh, I think that, that uh, folks are saying that that's a particular challenge. Uh, telehealth in rural communities is a particular challenge for them. And that's um, a good point, Erin. And you are up next for the slowest rapid rounding history. Um, <laughs> so I don't know this. What'd you say? Rapid-ish. Rapid-ish, yeah. (laughs) What you got, Erin? Well, you know, we've been talking about voting, and I would be remiss if if I did not talk about voting. I work uh, at the 19th. It's a new nonprofit newsroom that's named for the 19th Amendment uh, with the recognition that not all women had access to the franchise when the 19th Amendment was ratified. Uh, and, And a couple of people brought up the civil rights movement. And, you know, as I'm looking at the black women who have been the backbone of the Democratic Party and were such a factor already in these primary elections, you know, these are folks who have already survived something, uh, you know, namely Jim Crow in America, uh, a lot of those voters, uh, and they're being asked to survive something again uh, by choosing between their health and and our democracy uh, with these in-person elections that are still taking place and thinking about what's happening in November if those in-person elections are not somehow modified to make uh, voting safe for all Americans, especially the Americans who we know uh, really do care uh, a lot about our democracy. But more than that, the ones who are prioritizing, like a lot of Democrats, ousting uh, the incumbent president in November. And so, uh, you know, even for organizers that, that I'm talking to, I just had a story this week talking to organizers who were so focused on energizing uh, the black electorate this cycle. But right now, you know, they're not texting people saying, don't forget to vote on, you know, when your primary is coming up, they're texting people asking, you know, doing wellness checks or, yeah. you know, what do you need? Did you lose your job? Do you need groceries? Do we need to shop for you? Uh, you know, are you okay? Uh, you know, asking folks that, but, but, but make no mistake, you know, what, what they're telling me also is that, you know, for black people, this pandemic was already, you know, it's political, it's economic, and now it's electoral. And, you know, they see the relationship between this pandemic and, 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 and politics. And so drawing uh, those, those connections, I think, is going to galvanize a lot of people uh, to still come out and, and vote this fall, particularly uh, the Black women who have always been the caretakers of our communities. And I think that, that that's something that we're going to continue to see. So we need to prioritize their safety, uh, because, like I said, a lot of them have already survived enough. Mm. That's a good point. Such a good point. 
Um, wow, that was a quiet wraparound. Okay. Like, <laughs> like we going, we going. Jamel's like, Jamel's like, my Remy's kicking in. What you need? <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> so the, uh, the next thing we had was a legal brief from Sunny. Joy um, kind of teased this already. Um, study with the idea of whether or not officers could stop you. But we were having on our text thread a conversation about liability, um, given the gross negligence that we've seen in um, the government's handling of coronavirus. And now we're seeing it with some healthcare systems. So I would love for you just to take a moment to educate us on what legal remedies, if any, do black coronavirus patients, potential plaintiffs have um, to get through this storm and to be made whole after it's over, should they survive it? Yeah, and I, I want to thank all of you ladies for letting me rant on our texts and letting me send all of those crazy text messages. Oh, so good. <laughs> they are good. They're helpful. Those are the issues that keep me up at night, right? Um, the, the, when I put my lawyer hat on, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, because we're, we're, we're being affected disproportionately so much. And um, one of the things is, you know, we got this care, the CARES Act, and everybody thought, this is the magic bullet. This is the magic bullet. But it's not the magic bullet for us when you think about uh, the law. Um, what, one of the first things I thought of, renters, right? Renters. Everybody thought, oh, my goodness, there's this federal moratorium. You know, people that have mortgages going to be three months. You don't got to pay your mortgage. Well, guess what? As black people, we don't own homes in the same way that other communities own. So what I learned is, you know, because we have such lower rates of homeownership in, in our communities, there's no nationwide halt according to this, this stimulus bill, I'm paying rent as with mortgage. So even in DC, where you see the bill coming out, you've got the city council votes to freeze the rent increases, but paying rent continues. So what did people do? What did our community do April 1st when the rent bill came through? That's what I kept on thinking. So it's a nationwide um, uh, issue for our community. The feds did not do anything uniform. Federal government took a big step they protected renters by issuing a 100-day day moratorium on evictions from federally subsidized housing, but that doesn't cover a lot of renters. It doesn't cover most renters. So that's one issue. So I think, unfortunately, we're going to see a lot of folks being kicked out of their apartments. So now we're going to have a homeless issue on top of it, if you can even imagine that, if you can even imagine that. Um, the next issue that I'm thinking about is patient care, health care. We now know that tying health insurance to employment is an unmitigated disaster. It's a disaster because so many people lost their jobs. So many people lost their jobs, so they don't have health care. So I think people need to look up their state, local laws um, about FMLA. They need to look up Americans with Disabilities Act, their ADA, and try to get some sort of coverage from the federal government, if they can, if they can. They need to start looking into that. Um, the, the other thing is, and it's a suggestion that I put on our text, I think the federal government needs to set up a relief fund just for patients and families impacted by COVID-19, because we know we are the families, we are the patients. They need to set that up. You know, forget about the, the, the freaking stimulus bill because that's not helping us. That's not helping us. We're dying. Um, most of the claims are going to be brought against hospitals and providers, I think. I think the federal government needs to step in the shoes of those providers because is it the hospital's fault? Is it the provider's fault? It's the federal government's fault at this point. Um, I think we need to protect the providers by having the federal government 
provide blanket immunity and pay the victims and pay the patients. Mm-hmm. People are losing. I, we talked about black women being at the forefront. We know black women in large part in many, in many of our households, we lead our families. We work in our families. We're losing those women. What are the, what are the kids doing? What are the husbands doing? What, what are, what are our families doing? Um, and so, you know, there's gotta be recourse there. A thing that my friend Holly, um, who's an incredible litigator, she mentioned this to me and I mentioned it to you all and you agreed. African-Americans should be lead plaintiffs in class action lawsuits. We saw those class action lawsuits in the tobacco industry, right? We saw, we've seen these class action lawsuits everywhere. The class action lawsuits should be raising COVID claims such as failure to treat because we're going to the hospital. We don't have health insurance. Some of us aren't being treated, if you can imagine that. We're not being tested. Failure to test and diagnose. People are being turned away. They go home and they die in their homes. We have a lot of repeated instances of that. Um, failure to inform of the infection because nobody's being tested. We just found out that the federal government is closing down testing facilities, testing facilities. Okay. Um, failure to, um, uh, uh, also disproportionately impacted, impacted by loss of jobs, loss of jobs. I think we should, we should be part of that. Also, I think I can't remember who mentioned it on this call. We need help applying for that stimulus money. Although I think the money is probably gone at this point, but we need help. We need SBA assistance. We need the loans. Why don't we have that? That could all be part of this class action lawsuit. And I know that there are lawyers looking at it, but it needs to start now. Because if you start it now, at least Congress is going to get scared and they're going to realize we've got to get ahead of it. I think they're going to realize it. Um, you know, Sunny, on the SBA on the SBA topic, I have a question because I just read a story, and, and I'm wondering if you are aware of this too. That um, F- the SBA loans are uh, folks who uh, have a small business but uh, have been convicted of a felony are yes. having problems getting the SBA money, uh, even though that that shouldn't uh, part be of the law. Money. It's not even part of the law which was fascinating to me because I've actually received phone calls and, and you know, I'm a criminal lawyer. So it's, it's fascinating to me. My husband has friends calling me about this. Um, and I've been putting people in contact with the right type of attorney. But what's interesting is that there are all these banks that are putting in extra hurdles like bank of America has done that. Um, and o- other banks are saying, well, if you're a felon, you're not eligible. That is not part of the act. And I, I think if that happens, yet again, that is another claim. One of the problems that I am seeing is you have an actionable claim. Where are you going to go? Everybody's on lockdown. So and the court, courts are closed in a lot of these places where uh, stay at home. Is, is I, I learned that in Clay County. Right? So, so, so that's one of the issues. Now, one thing that I, I've been talking about with a lot of my lawyer friends is what is the federal government's response? The federal government's response is we took the stimulus package. That is your aid. That is your recourse. Um, I, I wonder, you know, if that's going to be successful. It, it could be. It, it really could be. I mean, we'd have to show that it was there was deliberate indifference to the pandemic and then link that to the non-action or the sickness of the class, I think there has been deliberate indifference. I think if you have a president that knew about this for 70 days mm-hmm. and did nothing, that in my mind is deliberate indifference. Other minds may disagree, but- 
if because you know we know that for the Paula Jones precedent, Donald Trump is not immune from lawsuits just because no, he's it's not. Would he be immune from a lawsuit that held him personally liable as the person who actually committed the negligence? Well, I will tell you, Joy, this is something that is going around legal blogs back and forth, back and forth. Um, while he's in office, that's not going to happen. Hopefully he won't be in office past November, right? Um, he's like the Teflon Don. He seems to, to, yeah. I don't know, he deflects everything like Wonder Woman. But I, I do think there's a cause of action there. Because he was so negligent, we know he received this in his, da- you know, his intelligence daily brief. We know he had this information. He either didn't read it or disregarded it. And American lives were lost, in my, in my, in my opinion. So I, I, I do think that um, there's a cause of action there just due to well, his... And turning to, to your point, too, um, you know, I think uh, intent versus impact uh, mm-hmm. is, is an important point as well, because, you know, well, I think, you know, certainly it's commendable that, that the government is going to be sending people at some point, you know, a $1,200 check if you if you qualify for that and, and more if you have children and that kind of thing you know i'm thinking about people who are unbanked and you know that i don't think that those people were necessarily on the minds of folks who just said oh we can just direct deposit them the money and it's like well everybody no. can't get a direct deposit of, of, okay. the, of that of that money and so you know does that mean that they don't get the money they're cashing place and they're going to be you know what about right. cashing place open and are they able to, you know, to afford public transit if they've lost their job to get to the check cashing place and back? You know, there are just a lot of um, a lot of things that that uh, maybe were not intentional, but will definitely be impactful uh, to to marginalized communities. Now, Sunny, I don't know if you could speak to this or not because this was definitely a looming question in a lot of circles that I roam in is whether or not you would be eligible for the stimulus if you owe back child support. I heard that there's no. You know, I, I, I heard that yeah. Someone was saying something. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I, I heard that it's no. If you have back child support, they're garnished. Yeah, that's we we had that discussion also on some of these um, text messages that I get, and most people are saying no. You don't yeah. you don't get it if you owe uh, back child support. So you know, and and that's another thing. Um, many people owe back child support, mm-hmm. and you may not even owe a lot. <laughs> like you might just be yeah. behind a little bit, but because yeah. you got laid off from your job. Right. Right. How is your child getting what they need if you don't have a job and you also can't get this check? Yeah. Right. Angela, we lost our audio. Can y'all hear Angela? Oh, that's because I had it go. on mute when I was shuffling these papers. My bad. <laughs> I was just seeing if you could read my lips. Um, <laughs> so, no, the, the thing I was going to say is I have been surprised by the number of people, young people who are in college. Um, still dependent so they could be on their parents' medical um, plans, don't realize that they also don't get the stimulus check because they're dependents, yeah. right? So there's been, there like you're an adult, but you're a dependent for tax purposes. You also don't get the tax, if you or the, um, the benefit. If you owe taxes, you don't get the benefit. If you mm-hmm. haven't filed taxes because you don't make enough money, you don't get the benefit. So That's it was definitely written from a um, from an elitist purview, and they did not talk to. There was no focus group of poor people, right? They forgot to do, they forgot to get them up on the phone. So, oh, sorry, to small businesses. If you haven't had uh, a sa- if you haven't had a staff on W two salary from two thousand 
from 2019 taxes, you cannot get uh, payroll protection. So if you started a business this year and you have a staff, like you're no longer, you're not eligible for payroll protection. And even, even uh, someone like me, who's had a company for quite some time, but just was able to start putting people on payroll. I can't, I don't, I'm not eligible for this loan because they were not on payroll at least two years ago. So it does, so it leaves out even like small businesses who are trying to get yeah. moving. And I, I, I guess my question, my question, Sunny is, when I, and this goes back to something you had said earlier, I'm just curious when you said that it's important that black folks become the, be the lead plaintiffs in class action lawsuits. Can yeah. I just get more insight into why that is so important? It's so important because then you drive the narrative, right? You drive what's important in that class action lawsuit. You also get arguably a bigger voice and a bigger share. And, and, and that's the thing. I, I really think it's important because a lot of times our voices are lost when it comes to these class action lawsuits. You know, we get sick with the tobacco litigation and then you have these big law firms and they swoop in and they get a lot of money and we get, you know, a $25 check or a rebate. And, and we can't do that in this instance. We, we have to, our communities have to be heard and there has to be real compensation in a real way. Are you going to be putting it into community centers? Are you going to be putting it in a real way that affects um, every single person in the community? Are you going to be able to affect change? So your voice has to be able to drive the narrative. And the only way you really can do that is if you're part of the, cl- not only part of the class, but also the lead plaintiff. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's why it's really, really important because you don't just want the $25 check or the $1,200 check. It's just right. not enough. There needs to be some sort of institutional systematic change. And, and we know that. that that is what's important when you're talking about something like this. Mm-hmm. Well, one thing we know is, we've talked about it throughout already, that Black women work every day to save democracy, to save us from ourselves, to save our families, to keep us safe in all of the many ways. Um, One thing we haven't talked about yet, Tiffany, uh, is the fact that there are Black women on every level of government working diligently to ensure that we are protected, that we can survive this thing. And I know you had a highlight or two for us. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So um, I just want to echo your your point, Angela. And I would count all of you ladies uh, in in that group, the ladies who are sharing the screen, and definitely you, Angela, for pulling us together because um, in the media space, all of you have a large footprint. uh, And and it goes hand in hand with, with government. And when you look at the Black women who are on the front line, we're not only battling um, this virus, but we're also battling these below average ass white men who've been put in place who are killing us figuratively and literally. So I just want to shout out first Congresswoman Ayanna Presley. Mm. If the woman had a fan club, I would be president of it. Co-president. Um, Co-president. Yes. <laughs> shout out to one bald nation. Shout out to two, just her doing her thing in Congress. And she was the person really advocating for getting the uh, racial breakdown data of who this virus was impacting. And so she was joined by uh, Congresswoman um, Kelly from Illinois. Um, and, and Senator Elizabeth Warren, and they sent a letter um, to the Health and Human Service Secretary that was completely ignored, and, and they kept pursuing the issue, and she's still been out on the front line. So shout out to her. 
Um, I also have to say some of these mayors who are on the front line. Yes. You have uh, Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms from the ATL. Shadi, what's up, Keisha? <laughs> I hope you watch. But Keisha's been on the front lines too and, and talking about like she considered um, the, putting literally money in people's pockets to make sure that people uh, were, were taken care of. She set aside $7 million for things like child food programs and, you know, senior food services and small business continuity. Um, I am going to shout out also Lori Lightfoot. Uh, mayor of Chicago. Um, one, she got caught up a little bit when she snuck out to get that oh, hair. She got a haircut. She got that fade though. That struggle is real. When I tell you it is. about not having the hair salon, it is. <laughs> but, uh, I I will confess, my stylist lives uh, two blocks away from me, and I was at her door like, "Not, not, little. I need this hair. Get it together. You better so watch I, Tiffany Cross." <laughs> I wish you wouldn't no. have done that. I do wish you wouldn't have done that. I wish you just wore like that. Let me say for for my stylist, it was just me and her in her house, and we were fully covered yeah. and protected. But yeah. edit that part out. No, yeah. I don't edit that part. No, out. I'm not editing it out. I'm not editing <laughs> out because this this is what I'm not about to edit out either, Tiff. Here's what I want everybody here to do for you, and that you'll appreciate this shameless plug. Can somebody for Tiffany, who still went to her stylist's house, say it louder? You know what that is? They <laughs> <laughs> wrote a book that says, say it louder. Yeah. They don't say it louder <laughs> in your pre-sale. <laughs> go buy the book. Say it louder, y'all. Buy the this book. This is the cover, also, y'all looking for it. Here it is, y'all. You better be and while we're talking about books, my book Small Doses is also on Audible since you're home. Mel over here writing her book. Joy got her 27th book. Erin compile her articles and make that a book. Sunny working on book. I still got a book proposal with edits. It's not shining up. That's right. That's right. Waiting on your book, Angela. I just told you I got some edits here. Look for my book. Anyway, <laughs> Tiffany, let me just let me have a floor while out. you lie to these people about letting them go get their hair damn. I know. Don't do it, y'all. Don't do it. Don't do Look, it. Don't I, do I, it. I, you know what? We can't put it all on just women because brothers are definitely rushing to their barbers. Brothers they are, are definitely what my yeah. boy's barber yeah. and he keeps putting up posts like stop calling me for a fade. Yeah, like, yeah. Like, yeah. yes. The struggle is real, it's hard. A barber out of Chicago, I think, passed away. Yeah, he was doing house calls. Yeah, doing house calls. His family said he got exposed to to COVID. I mean, we want to look good, but, you know. And what now? One of my favorite memes, one of my favorite memes is the one about, uh, you know, you you know where they're still doing hair and nails is at the morgue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, I've been properly shamed. I was about to say, Tim, I was about to say, Tim, how you feel now? <laughs> this big. I feel this I mean, big, y'all. <laughs> wait, 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 <laughs> Tiff. We didn't, we didn't hear you, Tiff. Can you say it louder? <laughs> <laughs> Can y'all hear me now? Can y'all hear me now? <laughs> but let, let, let me just say quickly about the, the women at the local um, level. This is why local elections matter because you have mayors, you have a lot of these state legislators that are run by Republicans, you have um, people on the front line, city council members who are making decisions that literally impact your life. And so I know, you know, sometimes uh, the national election, the presidential election can suck up all the oxygen in the room, but this should be a shining example of why 
um, your state and local elections can be integral to your health. So to all the black women on the front lines, uh, Mayor Cantrell out of uh, New Orleans, um, Mayor uh, Biles out of Charlotte, there, Aja Brown out of Compton, London Breed, thank you, out of San Francisco. There are so many um, that we can go through who are literally making decisions that the federal government um, seems incapable of making. So I know as black women, we are exhausted um, from saving this democracy. But right now, black women are not only saving democracy, they're literally saving lives. So I just wanted to take a moment to give a shout out to all of them. Shout out, black women. We said it loud. Those of us who still (laughs) want to get our hair done in our stylist house. (laughs) Right along. We got calls to action. And uh, I I will go to Joy first and then to Jamel for tell us what to do, y'all. What are we doing? Okay, I have assignments for everybody, um, and I have completed these assignments myself, so I feel quite valid to make them. Okay, this is assignment number one. No matter what state you live in, I'm going to tell you there are about half a dozen states where you're already allowed to vote by mail, where they do it already. Colorado, my growing up state, Hawaii, Oregon, Utah, Washington. You'll notice three out of those five states are very uh, racially uniform. It's easier to pass voting reform when there's not a lot of black folk in town. That's a weird thing that happens in the world. Um, However, most American states have an option to vote absentee. Now, some states, you have to give a reason why you're voting absentee. Other states, it's no fault absentee. New York, good for New York. They just passed a rule relaxing the rule that you have to give a reason why you're going to vote absentee. You can just apply. So this is what I want everybody to do. This is easy. You can do it from home. I just did it for myself. I applied to vote absentee in my new state. I'm now in the DMV. So I am now officially registered to vote absentee in the November election because of the immediate elections that are coming up. Sunny is right. It's probably too late to change the laws in your state, but you can register to vote absentee for November. Keep in mind that the one kind of voting that Republicans don't usually suppress is absentee voting. Why do they not suppress it? That's how they vote. I was working in elections. I worked in the 04 election. I worked in the 08 election. And then I dropped the mic because after the first black president gets elected and you were on the team, even if you were a little part of the team, you just quit that bitch. And you don't never work. (laughs) (laughs) Went out on top. But those two elections working in Florida, the craziest, weirdest state in America, is that white folks tend to vote absentee. And so when they pass laws suppressing the vote, they only suppress the way we vote. They want us to line up, stand in line for seven hours, get sick anyway, even if there wasn't COVID-19, stay there for seven hours, only have three machines when they have 30 machines, when they don't even show up because that's not how they vote. We need to be slick and vote the way they vote in November. They can't suppress us all. If all of us get together and make sure that we're making sure we vote absentee, it'll be very difficult to suppress them. So if you're in New York, for example... I don't know if you can see this in the camera. I print it out. You just go online. You go to your division of elections in your state. You can find the application to vote absentee. You fill this out. Or if you're like me, this is for my godmother and her husband. So I I downloaded two of these. I'm going to send them to her. All she has to do is sign it. I'm going to send her the postage. I have stamps. I'm going to send her the thing to mail it back, make it real easy for her. I'm going to have her leave it on her stoop and have my godbrother come and get it and take it to the post office for her. We can do that for our loved ones. I'm going to do it for all of my children who are still New York voters and they have to vote or I'm going to cut off their phones. Now, the next <laughs> also threatening they vote. It's very important. Also in the package to godmother. Oh, Sunny had a question. Joy. I had a question, Joy. Yes. What, what do you say to those people that say, uh, I don't really trust that. What if it gets lost in the mail? How do I know that my vote was received? I don't trust that. 
in almost every state where absentee voting is allowed, you are also allowed to verify online that the Division of Elections sent you a ballot and that they received your ballot. Most states do have a way for you to verify just by going on the web that your ballot was received and that your ballot was sent. They have to do that so that you can't then turn around and show up and vote again. They have to keep a record of who registered to vote absentee so that you don't register for an absentee ballot, fill out an absentee ballot, and then show up and vote a second time. By the way, that almost never happens unless it's an accident and someone forgot they they asked for an absentee ballot. Registration. One of the good things about voting absentee is that in most states, if you register to vote absentee, you will automatically get another absentee ballot for the next election. So a lot of people who voted for Barack Obama in 2008 automatically got another absentee ballot in 2012. You vote once absentee, they assume you're part of the absentee family. But again, they're usually Republicans. So no, you cannot usually send it in, you apply to absentee, and it just goes away into the ether. That's not the way it works. They have to keep a record of it. So I think that's important. The second thing um, that I'm going to do, and this is an assignment, for those of you who have got new technology and you've gotten yourself a new iPad, this is my old iPad that I'm going to be sending to my godmother. That way, my godmother can take advantage of seeing her little church situation on here, on Facebook. (laughs) To keep my old people Amen. from using the church, yeah. they are going to have to learn how to use this. I'm going to pre-program this with Facebook. Now, I'm not good at it, so I'm going to have one of my children pre-program <laughs> this with Facebook because I'm in Compton. I barely got on this Zoom by myself. Um, and I'm going to pre-program it to make sure that you can both talk to your old people on Facebook. Old people love Facebook. Once they get onto it, yes. they love it. They drive you off of it because they get annoying. They like it. Mm-hmm. So get your people, your old people on your old Facebook. And number three. Also online, you can go online and fill out your census form. Please do it. Oh, yeah. I really worry about is that with this COVID-19 outbreak, we won't fill out our census forms. And then not only will we suffer with the immediate health effects of COVID-19, our communities will be under-resourced for the very things we need. Hospital resources, school resources, educational resources, all of the resources we need come from the census. So please fill it out. Um, you just go on census.gov. It's very easy. It like takes like four minutes. You can do it. So those yeah. are my assignments. I have a question. What do you say for those who feel like the census is a racket? Because I really do be feeling like it's a racket. <laughs> what do you say <laughs> to those folks? Asking for a friend. Right. Yeah, absolutely. The, the, the reason that... Her name, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> A smart, funny, and black friend. (laughs) (laughs) I know people like that. Acting like a damn hotel. (laughs) (laughs) You got hotel me. She hotel you, dog. (laughs) My God, this is a hot girl. The only way it's a racket is because they got us thinking it's a racket, so we won't fill it out. Letting us think it's a racket is a way to trick us. Keep in mind, the communities that fill out fewer census forms get fewer members of Congress. They can actually remove a member of Congress based on the census. If if enough of us don't fill it out, we will have one less congressman in certain states. You'll end up with your schools being even worse. The money that you get from the federal government... Um, comes directly from the numbers they get out of the census. So if you don't fill it out, all you're doing is costing yourself money. You might as well take your money and throw it in the fireplace or on the stove and burn it up. Because the money that we get for our communities literally comes from the census. So it's not a racket. Unless you don't fill it out. And another we lost a Democratic congressman in Missouri because there was a Black undercount. So and we did in Florida because people filled it out. We had a, at the time I had a, a, a client, one of the urban leagues was my client and they did a huge push to have people fill it out. And we got to the point where 
there were members fighting over who was going to get the extra seat in Florida because Florida actually gained a seat. So the reality is the census can actually cause your state to get another congressperson. So it's it's very, very important. If we could do the third thing, which is donate to campaigns, which we don't have the money usually to do, we will be set because black people have so much influence. Right now, we can pretty much tell Joe Biden whatever we want him to do, and he'll have to do it. He owes mm-hmm. us. And we- Make him do the savage challenge. Well, yeah. Joy, Joy, another point on the census, you know, people may or may not care about losing or gaining another congressman, but they don't want somebody coming and knocking on their door in a couple of weeks to take their census form. So if you don't want somebody coming to your house to take your census information, yeah. fill it out online because people are about to be fanning out across the country. And you can you can you can um, bypass that whole process if you fill out your census form online. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Amen, church. So. So um, I want to get to our Remy drinking friend, Jamel. It's gone. It's gone. Bartender, socially distanced and top her off. (laughs) But Jamel, tell us about how we take care of ourselves in times like these and whatever else is on your heart as a call to action. You know, you got what you got. Um, Let me just thank you, Joy, for that uh, beautiful presentation about it. I voted absentee. Um, in Florida for many years up until uh, recently when I, I moved to California. Another little trick so they don't mess with your ballot, mark yourself as a Republican. You ain't got to vote Republican, but I did that in Florida. No no lie. I, That's, I registered yeah. as a Republican because I was concerned because of the way they do shit. You know Florida's shady. I was like, <laughs> register as a Republican. But don't worry, I voted for Andrew Gillum. So don't even <laughs> <laughs> for Jamel, Jamel, mark yourself as an independent. If you don't feel comfortable, I know a lot of black folks who did the same thing and marked themselves independent. Just yep. know if you do it for the primary, you won't get the Democratic people on your ballot. But yeah, if you want to independent, that might be the smart way to go if it's a yeah. Well, in California, I didn't have to worry about it. I registered oh, yeah. differently just because I knew that it's, it's not a lot of shenanigans here. Easiest state I've ever voted in. It's anyway. just different kinds of shenanigans. You're yeah. right. <laughs> shenanigans, but they're just a little different than the Florida shenanigans. Yeah. Those are all-time high. All right, so uh, we're going to talk about self-care real quick. And I will say this. Um, I have 50, 11 projects that I need to do. I'm actually, my workload has doubled. In the time since it's been this pandemic, a lot of us are on Zoom calls all day. We're talking to people constantly, blah, 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 blah. That being said, I think people need to not put a lot of pressure on them to do something amazing and awesome during this time. Like, it's okay to be stressed. It's okay to feel as if um, you need to reconnect emotionally with your friends, with your family, those kind of things. Those are very high priority things. I feel like there's just so much of a narrative that unless you're at home writing the next great novel, unless you're at home writing the next great screenplay, planning the big organizing movement, doing something amazing that you're somehow wasting your time, I think we need to give people permission to be still because there's a lot of chaos going on in in this world. And particularly if you're tuning in, like a lot of us are, we can't help it to all the COVID updates. We're scaring ourselves senseless that we need breathers and we need to be able to relax. Now, maybe you might enjoy some Remy. Maybe, <laughs> or it could be uh, your method of self care. It could be watching Uncorked on Netflix. Shout out to Princess Penny, yeah. or <laughs> or it could be watching like I am. Like I, I dropped Grey's Anatomy after one season, and I picked it back up, and I, I almost season two. And I'm like, damn, <laughs> I got or insecure or insecure. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it's about time. It's been so long. I'm back. 
Exactly. So use this opportunity. Don't feel guilty if you use this opportunity to exercise, to decompress, because all of us are under a lot of stress and thinking about a lot of things. And I don't want people out there feeling like if they don't accomplish something otherworldly, if they don't win a Nobel Peace Prize by sitting at home, that somehow um, that they have wasted their time. Um, other than that, I will say I'm tired of black people lying to uh, folks about having a cousin that work at the Pentagon. Ain't none of us got no cousins that work at the <laughs> <laughs> but please stop telling me. You got a cousin. You got an uncle. No, the spread of misinformation, black folks. Yeah, yeah. Just, just shut it down. All right, okay. that's real. Yeah. We ain't got no cousin. That is real. None of that. On the police force, none of that. So let's just shut it down. But that's my method of self care. It's okay. Did you also get the the message about if you steam your face. With the with the garlic and all of that, with you <laughs> lemon. Honey, who you be texting with? I'm like, it, it won't be the testing people. Like we, <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's definitely the testing. They didn't have no coronavirus when they was growing up. And then, you know what? We're gonna take all. We're gonna take all that to the altar on Easter. Let me tell you all. I just want you all to know that um, Congresswoman Maxine Waters has done such an amazing job with all of us at proving exactly how we reclaim our time. So much so that every single one of you has reclaimed all of your time. We were supposed to do two minute rants. Those are done because we've been on here for three days. Yeah, and we're, and we're still we're still not finished. It has been a, tragic, a Church of God in Christ shut in. And uh, on that note, uh, yeah, hallelujah, Joy. I'm so glad you raised your hand because you are closing us out, Pastor. Uh, all hearts and minds are clear. Please. Can I say one thing before oh, you Lord, Here go to Bishop. Here go to Bishop. I'm going to be quick, I promise. To Jesus Christ, who's the head of her life, her past and the first lady in their absence. I, but I, I wanted to double click on Jamel's point for like a teeny second. My beloved aunt, I have, I have um, six aunts. My mom was one of seven. Oh. And I have uh, six aunts. And my beloved Aunt Brenda Deloach passed yesterday from cancer. Oh. Uh, I was unable to go home and see her because I know I had been exposed to the virus. So I was not able to give a proper goodbye. Um, so, Sonny, if if we saw in uh, Donald Trump for being negligent, sign me up because I'm hopping there. But she received her crown and her long white robe, and she was an incredible, loving, supportive woman. And the thing that I am thinking so much about is not that I wish I had worked more, but that I wish I had spent more time with her. Mm. So if this is the time for you to figure out how to get more connected with the people that you love, with the people that love you back, with the things that make you feel joy, with the things that make you feel fueled, with the things that make you feel full, then use the opportunity for stillness to do that. Because when it's all said and done, all we've really got is each other. So thank you for letting me know. Thank you, Britt. That's beautiful. Well, I feel like I cannot improve upon what Brittany had said. So I will leave that to Stan uh, and just say that 
The other piece of wellness, I think for me, and I think for a lot of us has been, yes, to reconnect with your family and friends. You know, I'm not a phone person. I don't usually pick up the phone. I hate it when my phone rings. It gets, makes me stressed out. But this has been an era when I'm making more phone calls. I'm making sure, especially that I call my old folks, that you call your auntie and your godmother and the people that you've not connected with as much as you wish that you could have. Um, as Brittany has said, this is an opportunity, you know, stillness and, and this opportunity to be on your own and to be sort of to yourself is a great opportunity. But the other thing that I think has been very nourishing for me spiritually is friends, is people like the women who are on this call, uh, on this Zoom right now, because you guys actually give me strength and inspiration. And I think that knowing you all, um, being able to talk with you guys, being able to talk through these things with smart, brilliant, wonderful people that you care about and that you respect. That is one way that we can get through this. That is the way that we're going to get through this nightmare. Um, so I just want to thank all of you guys for being a part of this. Um, you're all amazing. You guys are the people that I respect. And so I just love having this opportunity to talk with you. Um, Jamal, thank you. Uh, Amanda, thank you. Miss Tiffany, we're going to all get your book. That's going to be our review. We're going to all pre-order. I already got mine. Yeah. I pre-ordered 10. I pre-ordered 10. Yes. Sonny, I need you to just sit in all four chairs on your show. I'm just saying. <laughs> oh, please, Sonny. Sometimes when you're not talking, you you know, and, oh. I love you and you love me so much. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord. And of course, our fearless leader who made all of this happen, Angela Rye, the queen yeah. All of us together, um, we all going to be following everything you do. We just need a book, sister. We just waiting on the book. We, we know, right? So we need you to write your memoirs, uh, and we will wait for that to come out. But in the meantime, we're going to be reading all of these wonderful women. Thank you all for being here. I believe I have closed it out. I'm handing it back to you, Angie. Did you say Erin? I did say Erin, yes. Okay. And we're reading the 19th. I did not miss Erin, so I'm going to go back through it again. Everybody who has paid any attention to this, I did not miss Erin. I do not believe I <laughs> Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> the, pastor, the, pastor, the said woman of this church, Aaron Haynes. Um, pastor Aaron, thank you, sister. <laughs> <laughs> Aaron is like, what? I think Aaron like, got some rum and coke in her cup. I saw over there tomorrow. Before it started too, but I'm gonna keep the bag now, and I'm gonna turn it into a mask. Thank you all so much. I have nothing else to say because there's nothing left to say. God bless you and all of your families. This has been Black Women Speak: The Politics of COVID-19. Thank you all so so much for this 30-day long town hall. It was amazing. (laughs) You all are amazing. We're gonna have to have a part two because we even get to some stuff. We have cocktails. Like a reality show reunion. Yeah, we're gonna have cocktails. Yeah, somebody said a reality show. (laughs) (laughs) I can have a cocktail, so let's do that. We can do that. I'm Puerto Rican. And we'll have a doctor on. Brittany dragged us for filth for not having no medical profession. We was talking politics oh, this time. I, was okay, I, I don't claim to be a medical listen. professional. Disclaimer, I'm here to talk about what I know about NASIT. That's all. That's what we did. Except for Amanda. Did y'all know Amanda was a scientist? She said that aerosols was going to get through. What did they call it? She said that. She sprayed like in an What do they call Amanda when they go through the mask? The what? Aerate. Air rate. Yeah, with a air rate. You want it to be impervious.
Yeah. Oh, okay. Ti uh, vocab word of the day. Oh my <laughs> You need to get the voting. They get that absentee ballot expeditiously. <laughs> yes. And you need to get Tiffany book expeditiously. I bought it. Yeah. 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 Striving to do right, my people are warriors. All we know is the fight, praying to seek God and everything. They call me the yellow side. I say I'm just my father's daughter, like Christ, my body beating, but I refuse to holler. Won't give them the satisfaction, but I let the tears flow. Steady praying for a father, forgive them, they don't know. That the revolution will not be televised. Twitter, Facebook, excuse me as I scrutinize. Out of the mouth of this babe comes perfected praise.